Heavenly Father, as a body, we call upon your name. Everyone in this room struggled this week to keep our eyes above the waves. So we come together today to look into your word, to be refreshed, to be reminded of the love that you have for us. As we do this, may you give us ears to hear what each one of us needs to hear from you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. It is good to see you all on this first day of fall. I hope you all enjoyed summer. <laughs> Those two weeks were great. Hey, if you don't know me, my name's Steve. I'm a member of the elder team here, as well as on the preaching team, and there's a lot going on. The summer celebration next week, please join us. Uh, the camp out should be a great time. And the neighbors helping neighbors is just something I'm really excited about. So if you can just make sure you keep all those things uh, in your minds that are happening, pray for them, and uh, see how you can be involved. That's great. We are in the book of Acts. Witnesses to the End is the series that we're in. Last week, David was in Acts chapter 15 and talked about how unity requires boundaries and work. And we saw the question be asked, hey, is, is circumcision required for salvation? And there were some that were pushing for yes, and, and a whole bunch of people pushing for no, and they had a council, and they said, no, it's absolutely not required for salvation. And you saw kind of our last view of Peter um, last week in that council go, listen, listen to what I experienced, no. And so there was guidance given to the church for how to be effective in ministry, And unity matters. I'm excited about a sermon series coming up starting next week called Home. Making church like home again. Please make it your thing to be here. It's, it, it's going to be a good time. We're just going to take a break from Acts for a few weeks and really focus on, as a body, uh, what all that means. But today I've got a sermon. I've titled it, What Could Have Been? While you think it might be a ripoff of the amazing song by Tiffany in 1987, it's not all two of you that know that song. We're going to be in Acts 15, verses 36 through 16, 10. So in between 15 and 16. And so I want to ask a question, and I know what your answer is. Do you have things in your past that you wonder what could have been? Especially after something difficult. A breakup. What could have been? Or a loved one that you lost. What could have been? We play this game all the time. 
and I need you to hear me as this kind of fundamental point we have today, God doesn't. He doesn't play the what could have been game. He never wrings his hands and wonders what might have been if things had been different. And so what we're going to see today, and I've put it in three simple statements, the word smithed a little bit from my original. My original was people are stupid. I cleaned it up. <laughs> people are far from perfect. Relationships are even farther from perfect. And God overrules our messes to accomplish his purpose. We're going to see this in our passage today. So I just want you to chew on this just for a moment and then watch it play out in the passage that we read. So we're just going to dive into the passage today. The first thing we're going to see is a separation. In verses 15, verses 36 to 41, this ends chapter 15 of Acts. Verse 36. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, because they'd gotten together with the disciples, they'd met with the council. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. This would be great. A reunion tour of sorts. And it was a natural progression of their ministry. They planted. Now they wanted to go and water. See how things were going. Paul and Barnabas had worked amazingly well together. If you recall, and you go back with us, Barnabas went and got Paul in Tarsus to help him in Antioch to kind of begin all this stuff. And their teamwork had been marked by adventure, success, God's grace. Barnabas, as we understand, had amazing relational gifts. You put that with Paul's amazing knowledge of the law and his amazing ability with words and his intellect. They had amazing results. Not only that, the challenges that they had faced together, I am sure, made them close brothers. And you know how that works when you go through hard times with someone it does make you closer. And to be sure, I guarantee they had disagreements. They probably disappointed each other once in a while. But never did they even dream of being separated. Except maybe by death. And certainly they didn't expect what was about to happen. Why? Because verse 36 says, let's go and visit all the places we planted and see how things are going but they found something they disagreed about pretty strongly in verse 37. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And so Mark... Let's make sure we're all clear on who this guy is. He wrote the Gospel of Mark. Most believe that he was working with Peter to put his Gospel together. 
He was a cousin of Barnabas. We'll talk about that in just a second. And he had abandoned the missionary crew in Pamphylia. Just up and left. Why do you think? I'll tell you my personal take. He, something happened and he just ran home to mama. Why? Mark's mother was of the building where the church in Jerusalem met. So she was obviously somewhat of means. And when you're traveling with Paul and Barnabas, you're not enjoying much finery. Whatever the reason, Paul considered it desertion. And what comes next is painful to watch. It really is. We're going to look at verse 39. And, and if you take the last 15 chapters and you see what happens here, your heart kind of clenches a little bit. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. You know what that looks like? Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. You take verse 36. Hey, let's go check out all the churches we planted and see how they're doing. And you go to verse 39. Wow, it took a left turn quickly. Barnabas, as we said, who was Mark's cousin, saw things differently. He saw a change in Mark, who obviously wanted to go with them, who obviously wanted another chance, and Barnabas resented Paul's rejection of Mark. And the result was what verse 39 says is a sharp disagreement. And the Greek word, paroxysmus, it actually indicates violent action or emotion. This is not, hmm, you go ahead and feel that way, I'll feel this. No, they got in a fight. They got in a fight over this. It was a passionate conflict. And it says Barnabas took Mark with him and went to Cyprus, just like that. And this is the last glimpse you're going to see in this verse that Luke gives us of Barnabas, one of the coolest, noblest figures in all of the New Testament. In leaving Paul, Barnabas was separating himself from the greatest missionary of all time. And Paul was losing the man that he owed the most to, more than any other human being. And so when Barnabas sailed away with Mark to Cyprus, he sailed into ministry, but literally out of history. We don't hear about him again. See, Paul mentions him once. The point here that I want you to see is that the relationship between two great men of God failed. And the fact that there's no indication here of an apology or a makeup indicates to us that we just watch the failure of the relationship between two of the greatest missionaries the church has ever known. Wow. Consider it. That fight, I wonder what it sounded like. I wonder how passionate it was. 
but it essentially wound up with their split. And as you read to this point, you wouldn't think that possible. And yet it happened. In any case, Paul took Silas, and in verse 41, it says, and he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. And so Paul now has a new companion, this guy named Silas. And so we're going to do a quick intro to him. So he brought some ingredients to Paul's ministry that Barnabas didn't have. First of all, Silas was a Roman citizen. That's going to help. He was a prophet. I actually said that earlier in chapter 15. He spoke Greek most likely, which would also help. And he actually, if you read through some of the epistles, served as Paul's stenographer. He wrote some of his letters. And so Barnabas was a great loss. Silas was a great gain. We're going to talk more about that in a bit. But we get next introduced to another New Testament icon, Timothy. And verses 1 through 5 of the next chapter, chapter 16. And so let's just jump right into verse 1. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Hopefully, Lystra pricks something in your memory if you've been here. Lystra was where Paul was stoned earlier and left for dead outside the city, remember? The Bible says, well, he got up, dusted himself off. On this visit to Lystra, he was impressed by a young man who was most likely a teenager named Timothy. And so Timothy's father had been a Gentile who did not believe. He was most likely passed at this point. Timothy had a godly gospel upbringing under his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois. And you can see all that in 2 Timothy if you read um, that account. And evidently Timothy, his mother and grandmother, had come to Christ during Paul's first missionary journey there. Somewhere between 8 to 14 years prior. And Timothy somehow stood out with his remarkable growth, spiritual growth. He's called a disciple. He's a follower of Jesus. Verse 3. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And he took him in circum... What? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. I hope you were here last week to hear David talk about how unnecessary circumcision is. To here we have Paul circumcising someone. What is going on? And the passage tells you. Paul strongly resisted circumcision as something that would save you. But Timothy was both a Jew and a Greek, and uncircumcised would continually offend the Jews with no advantage to the cause of the gospel. And so Timothy voluntarily removed that stumbling block. We're not going to spend a ton of time on this. We'll chat about it a little bit more later. But at the end of the day, they made a move that made sure there weren't stumbling blocks to the gospel. Verse 4. As they went on their way through the cities... They delivered to them for observance 
the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the council from last week, they went through the cities and they delivered what the council had said. Verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. And so Paul and Silas leave Jerusalem. They pick up Timothy and they go through the cities and they share the, um, the truths that David talked about last week. They're in the last chapter. And the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. This is so cool. It's awesome ministry. It's fantastic. Paul's return to the places that he brought the gospel. The gospel was working. People were growing. He was teaching them the council's decision. Everything was going great. And we get another left turn. Next section is about, we're going to talk about Macedonia, verses 6 through 10 of chapter 16. All right? And so Luke's very clear to tell us, hey, everything's going awesome. Right into verse 6. And they went through the region of Pergia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they come up to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So when Paul had finished his ministry in Galatia, he decided to go south and minister in Asia. We're not talking about the continent of Asia. We're talking about a small province called Asia where Ephesus was located. But something stopped him. Then he tried to go north in Bithynia so he could minister. And there's all kinds of cities there at the time around the Black Sea that were very prosperous. But again, he was hindered. And the overall effect of these hinderings that the Spirit was giving to Paul was to funnel him west toward Europe. He was actually driven west by closed doors in the east. And so specifically, how did the Holy Spirit restrain Paul? We are not told exactly. It doesn't tell us. Could have been through the giving or taking of a sense of peace. That's possible. It's often how we um, can sense the Spirit leading. Or possibly it was through tough circumstances. Couldn't get there. Could be illness. Some theologians actually believe that it was illness because Luke shows up next in the narrative. A physician joined them right after this time. In any case, the missionary work went from smooth sailing to not smooth sailing. Verse 8. So passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. A man of Macedonia appears in a vision to Paul. Who is that? We don't know. Some have made some suggestions about who this man of Macedonia could be. William Barclay suggested it was Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great wanted to join the West and the East, and Paul wanted to join the whole world for the gospel. Others thought it might be actually Luke. Guess what? Your homework is to go research who other people might have thought it was. The Bible doesn't tell us, but it's kind of fun to think about. In any case, Paul has a vision. Somebody from Macedonia says, come over and help us. 
Verse 10. It's the last verse of our passage today. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we, oh, there's a we. Immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So I do want you to really pay attention and see, this is the first time we see the word we from Luke. And we'll see the term we used throughout the end of the book. You're going to see it here in this uh, chapter, verse, in, in chapter 16. You're going to see it in 20, 21, as well as 27 and 28. So at this point, Luke is actually switched into somewhat of an autobiographical account. But God has pointed them west, and Luke is now with them. So you have Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke. And we're going to continue this missionary journey where they head to Macedonia when we pick Acts up in a few weeks. But I want us to look at today's passage and see what we can learn from it. I want us to see what God did with this massive disagreement that Paul and Barnabas had, so massive that it split the greatest missionary team of all time. It's a big deal. And there's a lot for us to learn from it. And so I've put together four permanent lessons from a temporary fight. The first one, the first permanent lesson from a temporary fight, the gospel is greater. And so I want you to note that in the disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, they both continued in the mission of preaching the gospel. So often you will see people who follow Jesus get into fights with each other and then one or both just leave. That's not what happened here. They didn't abandon Jesus because of a disagreement they had with each other. They were both completely committed to the spread of the gospel message. This gospel message they were spreading, if you're wondering, if you're new here, if you need help understanding what the message that Paul, Barnabas, and the missionaries of Acts were spreading, here's what they were teaching. That all of the scriptures, the law, the prophets, the Psalms, they all pointed toward the day that God would send Jesus into the world to do for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so Jesus was our substitute for us to put our trust in before he's our model to follow. We're saved by his works. We are made right before God because of what he did, not what we have done. This is the message that Paul and Barnabas were spreading. And they were calling people to stop putting their trust in themselves and their own works for eternal life, but to trust in what Jesus had done for them. And what Paul and Barnabas taught is once we put our trust in Jesus, we're completely forgiven, fully reconciled with the one that made us. He cannot love us more. He will never love us less. We can't add to his love for us by our good works. We can't diminish his love for us by our stupid moves. It's called good news 
for a reason. It's the best news. The gospel is greater. Greater than what? Greater than Paul? Yes. Greater than Barnabas? Yes. Greater than their argument? Yes. Even in their disagreement, Paul and Barnabas understood this. And their disagreement, in different ways they went, didn't permanently disrupt their love and respect that they had for each other. If you look in 1 Corinthians 9, you'll see Paul later affectionately mention Barnabas as being worthy of monetary support as he continued to proclaim the gospel. The gospel is greater. The gospel is greater. The gospel is greater. The gospel is greater. As we operate in this world, as we struggle with our relationships with others, as we find ourselves in places where we don't know what to do, we always need to remember the gospel is greater. Paul and Barnabas both did. Next permanent lesson from a temporary fight. Our imperfections level the playing field. And I will tell you one of the things I love about this passage that we've read today specifically is we learn that Paul is far from perfect. Paul was not above making mistakes. Paul was not infallible. We need to remember that. If you need a reminder, read Romans 7, where Paul, 20 years into his ministry as a missionary, wrote verses 18 and 19. He says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is my flesh, for I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I don't want is what I keep on doing. This is Paul struggling with sin in his life. And it is good for us to know that he struggled. Our imperfections level the playing field. There's this theological concept, you've heard me talk about it before, called total depravity. And it sounds awful, and maybe it is, but you need to understand when you hear it, what it actually means. Not that any of us is as bad as we could be. You with me? None of us is as bad as we could be. Praise God. But also, at no point is any of us as good as we should be. None of us. None of us is as bad as we could be. But at no point, at no point is any of us as good as we should be. So, when you struggle with someone, ask yourself what standard you're holding them to. And the standard you're holding them to is some made-up standard that you came up with. That's somewhat not quite as good as you. And you are not the source for these standards. God is, and our imperfections level the playing field so that we give each other grace. Interesting to see that Paul looks like he struggled with that here. R.K. Hughes says, all Christians walk with limps. We all rely on the grace of our Lord. This helps with our pride. So does this verse. This helps with our pride. Isaiah 64, 6. We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds 
are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. The we here, it's you and me, us, together. Our imperfections level the playing field and should lead us into grace for one another. And so if the gospel is everything, as both Paul and Barnabas lived, and our imperfections are the great equalizer, meaning there's no difference between us when we're under grace, then we take our example from Jesus and our third permanent lesson from a temporary fight, we see that self-sacrifice is the way. Stolen from the Mandalorian, for those of you that know. Self-sacrifice is the way. And we see this, and I love that we see this in today's passage, perfectly exemplified by Timothy, who obviously understood the gospel, understood that circumcision had no ability to save him or make him righteous, yet he was circumcised out of consideration for the Jews who would struggle if he remained uncircumcised. Talk about the ultimate self-sacrifice. He gave of himself for the benefit of others. And it is, it's intriguing to me that it seems like in a moment Paul might have forgotten this. Self-sacrifice is the way. Timothy understood this. David talked about it some last week. Paul sums it up quite well in Galatians 5.13. In case you want to know how this all works together for what our job is, Paul says, for you were called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. What are we to do? Through love, serve one another. We have our marching orders. It's incredibly important that we don't abuse the freedom we get from the gospel. The obligation that is gone for us is the obligation to obey the law to be saved, which is impossible. But now that we are saved completely, we are more obligated to obey the law than ever. What law? Love God, love others. Love God, love others. I don't have it up here, but just listen as I read Philippians 2, verses 5 through 7. You want to know the mind that you should have during this? Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, didn't account equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men. David mentioned it last week. We had 60 people here for four nights from like 5 to 8.30 or 9 serving our community. It was a beautiful picture, and thank you to everyone that participated. But that is the mind that we're called to. Have this mind among yourselves. Take the form of a servant. And it's fantastic when we do it together. Self-sacrifice is the way Timothy knew this. May we learn this. And so we've 
God, the gospel is greater. Our imperfections level the playing field. Self-sacrifice is the way. And our last permanent lesson from a temporary fight, God overrules our messes. Let's just process for a minute what happened as a result of Paul and Barnabas splitting. First of all, you now have two missionary teams instead of one. Not only that, Mark has an opportunity to show that he can handle it. We get to understand the humanity and the relatability of Paul and Barnabas. Mark's experience led him to write the greatest of the four Gospels. <laughs> it happens to be my favorite. Gospel of Mark is short, simple, concise, 16 chapters. You can read it in 45 minutes, and it just is so full of action and what Jesus is doing, and you'll note that Mark is the only gospel that records when Jesus is arrested, someone running away naked. The cloth got, clothes got ripped right off him, ran off naked. I absolutely believe that was Mark. I believe Mark has a testimony that when we get to glory, we're going to get to hear and understand. He's like, oh my gosh, you won't even believe the anxiety when I was there with Paul. I just had to get home. I had to get out. And we're just going to hear from him. He's the guy that wrote the gospel that gives us comfort, that we understand how much it's about Jesus. Not only that, but the gospel then spread to Europe. So take a look at all the things that God did as a result of this fight, that we look at the fight, we're like, oh, and God didn't suck all the air out of the room. He didn't. He overrules our messes. 2 Corinthians 4, 7. It's Paul talking. We have this treasure in jars of clay. Jars of clay is designed to be clay, breakable, not very rugged. To show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Memorize this. The surpassing power belongs to God and not us. To us, the point that Paul is making is that God has deliberately chosen something fragile, something unimpressive. Why would God keep the great treasure of the gospel in such vulnerable containers as us? Paul says that God wants to show that the power of his glory is from him. He leaves us no room to suggest that power comes from Paul or power comes from Barnabas or power comes from you or power comes from me or any other human being. The power of the gospel is so overwhelming that it's not limited by the quality of the container. This one's not that great. God displays his limitless power and glory by distributing it through us, jars of clay, you and me. And he accomplishes his plan through us, even through our messes. And while we say, I wonder what could have been, he never does. Hmm. 
We don't look at what could have been. We marvel at a God who overrules our messes and brings himself glory through it. John said it this way, Behold, what manner of love that we should be called children of God, and that's what we are. It's nuts. God overrules our messes. It doesn't give us excuse to live however we want. May I share a brief recent example with you? Friday night, I had the taco salad. It was good, but it wasn't enough. This Friday night waned on. I was hungry, so I made a bowl of cereal. Honey Nut Cheerios with a banana and a lot of milk. And it was delicious. But I put too much milk in. And you know, when you're done, and the milk's not really that cold anymore, and so I got up from the sermon I was preparing and went to the kitchen and set it in the sink. About 18 hours later, I'm on this slide. And my wife in the kitchen says, hey, Steve, you know, you know, if you just leave milk in the sink for a long time, it actually gets pretty stinky. And do you know what I said? Honey, God overrules our messes. She's, she's right here. I am speaking the truth. And it was funny. I told her even then. I'm like, wow, you just gave me a good point for my sermon. Because that's not how we're supposed to be. We're to be chasing the gospel. We're supposed to be chasing righteousness, chasing holiness. Why? Because God has entrusted us with the gospel message in these jars of clay. Yes, he will work through, but we get an opportunity to serve him and to spread the gospel. So dump your milk out, people. Okay? Paul spends a bunch of time in Romans talking about whether we're to sin more because God's there to clean up our messes. There's so much grace. And he says, by no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? We are to be those that chase righteousness hard, knowing that God is working no matter what. Back to our main point. People, you, me, far from perfect. Far from perfect relationships because they're a combination of people that aren't that are far from perfect or even farther from perfect but god overrules our messes to accomplish his purposes and i would love for you to spend some time in the word this week and see how far you can read where this isn't proven the entire old testament is this story right here god overruling messes to bring about his purpose. We studied it last year, and you can see it over and over and, out and over again. And so are you somebody who lives in the what could have been? May today's study, this passage, help you to understand that God 
is not in the business of what could have been. He's not. And so what does this do? It helps us understand that God is accomplishing what God wants to accomplish, with us or without us. And it helps us to be humble, to know that God is the one doing the work, and it helps us to rely on him to work through us. It helps us to rely on him to work through us. The singers and musicians can go ahead and come on up. Closing song, I love it. This is what we need to internalize, and I love that we're going to sing it together. Not I, but Christ in me. To this I hold, my hope is only Jesus. Amen? Okay. All the glory evermore to him. When the race is complete and a trail of messes behind me, still my lips shall repeat, yet not I, but through Christ in me. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for the honesty of your word. We might be shocked to see that some of our heroes kind of fell on their face once in a while or couldn't get along. But we understand that we all struggle. We all struggle with other people. We all struggle with relationships. May we take comfort from the knowledge that you are working through all of it to accomplish your purpose. May each of us remember that the gospel is everything. It's preeminent. It's our focus. It's our call. Help us to have that posture. Help us to have a posture of gratitude that you've chosen these jars of clay to be what you would use to minister to this world. May we honor you even as we sing. In Jesus' name, amen.